I decided uh, this week that we needed some form of a series to enter into in this, in this time together. Um, and, and so I've been thinking uh, about this song uh, from Frozen 2 uh, for, for most of the last six weeks called Into the Unknown. Uh, Elsa sings it as her main ballad. If you don't know that, then you should. Um, and, and you should probably go and watch it on Disney Plus after this um, and, and tune in. But, but anyway, um, the basic premise being that, that we, are, we are into the unknown right now. And I thought of biblically um, what better character that fits around than, than Abraham. Um, and, and, and especially in this beginning story uh, that, that Michelle so aptly shared with us and that we're going to dig into today. Um, and so, so this first chapter, if you will, of this series called Into the Unknown, I'm calling Leave. So in, in Frozen 2, Into the Unknown is Queen Elsa's power ballad in the movie. And it's been in my thoughts, like I said, during this entire coronavirus time. And, and a lot of that's probably because my four-year-old and I sing it almost every day on the way to her school. And so it's been a song that's been in my head for many months. But when I think about what church is going to look like in a couple of months, I think into the unknown. When I think about the trip to Italy that my wife and I were planning for our 10-year anniversary in August, I think into the unknown. When I think about much else besides what's for dinner tonight, into the unknown. It's fun to watch a movie or read a story about someone else having to venture into the unknown, whether a mystery or a political thriller or a coming-of-age story. We like those journeys because they're exciting. We also know how stories usually end up. They always come out fine. We don't know how they will do that and what will happen, but the conflict will be resolved. What is currently unknown will become known by the end. So Elsa's song is full of adventure and courage as she heads into the unknown. It is another thing entirely when it feels like everyone and everything is venturing into the unknown. As individuals, we all feel the sense of crisis. Some of it is financial. Some of it is medical. Some is just plain old mental health. Days are running into weeks, running into months. Our rhythms are all off. Some of us have cabin fever. As a church community, we also feel some sense of crisis. We don't know what is coming, how to make decisions for the coming weeks, let alone to plan for things months ahead of time. Hear me, we're doing fine as a church community. I think as good as we could hope to. And we are finding new ways to connect and adapt and love God and one another. But that doesn't mean it is easy. We are heading, like all other churches and like everyone else, into the unknown. 
So I thought this would be an appropriate theme for a sermon series to help guide these strange and precarious times. And if there is anyone who was called to venture into the unknown, it was Abram. We could use other characters, sure. Noah, Moses, David, Esther, Job, Paul. Many biblical characters are called to venture into the unknown. But Abraham had a particular calling. His story begins with God speaking straight to him. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. Leave. Leave is a powerful word. We have had to leave places before. We left our parents' house when we became adults and were ready to venture out into the world. For some of us, that was a welcome dose of freedom. For others, it was economically and socially terrifying. We have had to leave jobs or towns, some by choice and some not. We have had to leave schools that we may not have been ready to leave. Whenever we have to leave, there is a sense of loss. We understand this from this verse, from God's first words to Abram. Leave your country, leave your clan, leave your home. It gets more and more intimate as the circle closes in. Leave Ur, the only place, the only country that you have known. Leave your family clan, the social unit that binds you together, the people whom you trade and celebrate and live with. And then leave your home, this home that you have built and tended and have memories in. Leave. And where does God tell Abram that he is going? To a land I will show you. That's promising. It sounds like the situation where someone gets abducted. And when they ask, where are we going? The captor responds, you'll see. Then God whom Abram has probably not met before, gives Abram this immense promise. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of earth will be blessed because of you. This is one of the key passages of Scripture. It is the link between the first 11 chapters of Genesis where we have the creation story and then basically the downfall of humanity and the entire rest of the Old Testament. For this is the promise of God making a nation. This is the founding story of Israel. God promises that Abram will be a great nation, that God will bless him, and that through his line, God will bless the world. The only problem is this. Just a couple of verses before chapter 12, in Genesis 11, verse 30, we read this. Sarai was unable to have children. So Abram is going to be the father of a great nation, but him and his wife are barren. This theme will be very important throughout Abram's story. So what does Abram do? 
It says, Abram left just as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all of their possessions and those who became members of their household in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled throughout the land as far as a sacred place at Shechem at the Oak of Morah. The Canaanites lived in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I give this land to your descendants. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he traveled toward the mountains east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and worshiped in the Lord's name. Then Abram set out toward the arid southern plain, making and breaking camp as he went. What does Abram do? First, he left just as the Lord told him to. There are no doubts or questions presented as Abram begins this journey. That's all well and good for Abram, but I'm sure that Sarai had some questions. Can you imagine the conversation when Abram got back home? Who spoke to you? God, the creator of the universe. He did, did he? And what is he asking you to do again? To, to leave everything, dear? He is, is he? And where is he asking you to go? To a land he will show me. Oh, that's convenient. And why are we doing this again? So that God can bless us and make our name great and bless the entire world through our family. I'm glad you're being so logical, Abe. That's at least how I think the conversation might have gone. Granted, we don't see this side of the conversation. In fact, Sarai is voiceless in this entire first chapter, but she is nonetheless a very important figure. A lot of the story is going to hinge on Sarai as we go along. So Abram brings his nephew Lot and all of their possessions, and they set out for Canaan. God meets him and promises him this land, and Abram builds an altar right there in that place. Then what he seems to do is scout out the entirety of the land from the mountains to the arid plains, checking out this land that is currently inhabited that God is somehow promising to him. But then the story takes a very strange turn. It says, when a famine struck the land, Abram went down toward Egypt to live as an immigrant since the famine was so severe in the land. Here's the irony. Abram has to leave the very land that he has been promised. This is a land that is supposed to be his blessing. And he has to leave it and go live as an immigrant in Egypt. Well, we sometimes read over verses like this in Scripture because we are looking for the larger meaning. Can you imagine being Abram in this situation? Maybe you have been. Maybe you felt like you were finally going where God called you to go, pursuing the direction that God called upon your life. And then it didn't work. Or at least it didn't work like you thought it would. And then you had to up and leave that unknown 
for a new unknown. Feeling like an immigrant in a strange land, you thought you had left and taken the confident step, but then it required a step beyond. Everything wasn't solved and cut and dry in the first decision. So it's not even the land of promise anymore, but it's Egypt. The land that will become known to Israel as the land of slavery and captivity. Not yet, but it definitely is that in the reader's eye. And then we read this strange story about what happens in Egypt. Just before he arrived in Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know you are a good-looking woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but let you live. So tell them you are my sister, so that they will treat me well for your sake, and I will survive because of you. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw how beautiful his wife was. When Pharaoh's princes saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's household. Things went well for Abram because of her. He acquired flocks, cattle, male donkeys, men servants, women servants, female donkeys, and camels. Then the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, What's this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I made her my wife? Now here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning Abram, and they expelled him with his wife and everything he had. So let's get this straight. Abram now tells his wife to act like she is his sister, so that the Egyptians won't try to kill Abram and marry Sarai. Now from what I read about this, it was not that strange of an idea, and not as much of a lie as it appears to us at first. In fact, Sarai may have been Abram's half-sister. What we see is that Abram is in a difficult situation in this unknown land. But his decision to lie causes great harm. Abram, you see, will not automatically bring blessing to everyone he meets. Instead, God strikes the Pharaoh with plagues as a way to free Sarai and continue the promise made to Abram. The promise from the Lord is good. Abram has to figure out what it means to trust it continually. This is a growing relationship between Abram and God that we are witnessing. Scholar Terence Freitheim describes the journey of Abram and Sarai this way. He says, the, pilgrim, the pilgrimage of Abram and Sarai becomes a metaphor for the Christian life a journey that reaches out toward a promised future but comes up short of final fulfillment within one's own lifetime. Friends, as Christian people, we are all on a journey. That's why the metaphor of a journey or walk or pathway or road so often describes how we travel with Jesus. And this journey, we know, leads to good places. It leads to new creation and to eternal life. But in this life, it is not yet wholly realized for us. So we all find ourselves having to go to Egypt at some point, having to face things we didn't plan on facing, taking steps on a journey that we did not plan on making. We are all 
making a journey into the unknown. Rather than it being simply a disorienting and frightening experience, may it also become for us a pilgrimage of trust. Amen. This time I invite you to join me in responding with the words of faith that we find in the Apostles' Creed. Let's say them together. I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Spirit.